It's kind of a random commercial break. Anywho, I want to share with you guys uh, kind of a dicey way to intro this. We're going to do it anyway. I want to uh, share with you guys a couple of my favorite feelings in high school. The first came in the uh, high school football locker room right before a game. Now, uh, some may say that uh, it was uh, so enjoyable uh, simply because I was deranged, uh, a little bit disoriented due to the smell. Uh, for those of you guys that have never been uh, in a, a men's locker room mid-football season, it's somewhere in between the smell of toe jam and cottage cheese. If you put those together and put it in like a strawberry a jam jar and then opened it, that's what you would smell, okay? Now, uh, a few of us actually appreciate that smell. How many of you guys actually like the men's uh, locker room smell? Okay, the three of us, good, right? Any girls like the men's locker room smell? Okay, a couple of you guys do. You're just afraid, afraid of a minute. Anywho... Uh, when I was in high school, I loved pregame. Here's why. I was a quarterback. We ran the option, which meant I actually got hit a lot. Now, uh, the reason why I enjoyed that is um, there's something about uh, – do we have any middle linebackers here? Any middle linebackers? Someone who played middle linebacker in high school? All right, well, stand up. Stand up. Come here. Yeah, just, just stay right there. Just stand up. Now, um, I loved in the locker room – when, you know, some of the guys were playing some music from a, a band, in, you know, with a vegetable title in it with a lot of profanity. I didn't like that part. But I love kind of the getting pumped up, putting the helmet on. There was nothing greater than, than running a play where the, uh, the middle linebacker would smoke me, right? I mean, just complete, like I'm running the option, I come down the line, he hits me so hard. And the middle linebacker, like one of his big things is they, they want to see the quarterback get hurt, impaled, like guts flying, like something horrible, right? There's no greater feeling as a quarterback than when the middle linebacker's like standing over you and you get up and you just give him that like one second like glance in the eye like, dude, like, is there a bee on my shoulder or something? Like, that was nothing. That was literally one of my favorite, right? You can, you can sit down, Stephen. Thank you. Um, uh, now, I used to have a reoccurring dream playing football that I actually would play without pads, but everyone else would. And so, like, I would be out there in like my gym shorts that were like, back then, it was, they were still high. I would be out there in my gym shorts, and everyone else would still be in their pads. Like, there's something incredibly terrifying about going head to helmet. You see what I'm saying? Like, there's no way I would ever do that. I, that would be an absolutely ludicrous idea, which brings me to my second greatest feeling, the back of a pickup truck rolling through the, rolling through the, the wood. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're sitting in the back of a pickup truck, and you're, and you're you know, open air, it makes me feel like I'm from the country. You know what I'm saying? Like, I... I feel like I'm act like the, like there's trees around, and, and I, I feel like I'm somewhat of finally like a hick, in, you know, kinda, you know, like. But but the thing about it is, with with certain drivers, right, or certain drivers or on certain roads, you would actually feel okay sitting on the actual side of the truck. And dude, when you do that, you just feel straight boss, don't you? You know what I mean? I mean, you're sitting there, dude's going like 40 on a nice road. I mean, you feel like you can conquer the world. Other drivers, most of you, where I would be laying in the bed of the truck, you know what I'm saying? Like holding on for dear life. This thing could turn at any you know, given point. I'd be killed. Anywho, I love that feeling. What I realize over and over and over from some of my greatest feelings in general in life is that I really need security. Like I need to feel safe. There's no way I would ever play football without pads. There's no way I'd ever endanger myself letting you drive an open-air pickup truck with me in the back. Like, I need my safety. And, and having said that, I realize that how dangerous my need of safety becomes when it consumes me, when it's like all of a sudden all that I really need. And actually, like, the driving force most of the times I'm going to contend to you in your life is this need for safety, and we could even take it a step further, this need for security 
is actually what's driving most of your decision making. A problem is uh, that's going to lead uh, to a whole lot of decisions that at the end of the day are, are anti-gospel. And so I hope you're okay tonight with me being very vulnerable, digging into the text, uh, giving us an opportunity to respond to God's word. So that being said, why don't you guys open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We will end uh, Hebrews chapter 12 tonight, one chapter to go after this. I know many of you guys are uh, excited about that. If you haven't heard yet, we launched our Matthias's Lot uh, phone application for the uh, phone of I. It's also on the Android, uh, though it, the Android really doesn't count. Um, feel free to download the app, and all of our sermons are actually on there from our last three uh, books of the Bible. So we're going to start here in Hebrews chapter 12 uh, in verse 25 and uh, end with verse 29. You guys all there? Sam? there. Wonderful. Thank you so much. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned uh, them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now as he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And in verse 27, this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And the famous verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. A ton of stuff here, a little less wordy than last week. Let's begin our journey with verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Last week we studied this. Many of you in your uh, life have said, I want to hear God's voice. I, I hear all these other people or Christians or folks saying, yeah, yeah, the other day I heard God say this. Or heard God do that. And you've been envious. You're like, I want to hear God's voice. Last week, we shared that God's voice is right here, collected in the Scripture, inerrant in its form. Every word perfectly grafted by God, written through the hands of man, inspired by him, written by him. And his voice is speaking. And what the writer is saying is, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. In other words, there's others that are speaking that you should refuse. Are we together? There's a lot of voices in our culture, a lot of noise, and there's some of those that you should be refusing. The constant pull to feed your flesh, the constant draw of your lusts and your passions. But there's one voice that you should not refuse, and that's the voice of Him. We're uh, just started an interesting phase in our family. We're potty training my son. Now, uh, I don't know how many of you guys are still being potty trained. It's kind of a lengthy process. Um, are any of you guys still being potty trained just for, okay, good, Josiah. Um, the, there'll be some prayer guys up here later. Um, so we're at Applebee's last night. We're a few days into this thing. And, uh, and we're, you know, when you're potty training your kid, you've got to ask them like every five minutes or it's a sure disaster. So I'm, I asked Dawson, hey, Dawson, you've got go, to go potty. No, I don't. Hey, listen, I'm taking anyway. Worst case scenario, you're, you're, you're urinating on our appetizers. We don't want that. Um, so I take him to the bathroom. Unfortunately, Applebee's had the toilet of death that flushes automatically. You know what I'm saying? Well, this is like a kid's dinosaur. Like, you don't want this. So I set him on the, on, the, on the toilet there, the thing flushes, and it's as if he has seen, like, you know, the worst, most horrific thing that he can possibly see. He thinks that the toilet is literally going to drag him in with him, you know. 
And um, and so he hops off. He's completely scared. I'm surprised he didn't go just out of fear. Um, we go back. We go back to the booth, and you know Heidi's like really anticipating victory for the boys. You know, hey, did he go? No, I'm sorry, he didn't. And so we start asking every five minutes. No, I don't have to go. No, I don't have to go. Why, Dawson? Because the toilet. I'm scared. You know, is what he's saying. He's freaking out about this thing. So finally, in a, a moment of desperation, I do what all guys uh, do at some points in their life. We go outside. Now, um, there's something about it. You know what I'm saying? And so I take him outside. Well, again, we're in a public place. We're at Applebee's, okay? Someone could easily, right, like th- this could go wrong, Okay. And so I take him back by the rocks. I think I found an appropriate place. I mean, there's kind of cars going, you know, by a little bit. But I find a place in the rocks. I'm kind of covering up, you know. He's Anyway, and, and so I'm like, Dawson, hey, dude, just, just go for it right here in the rocks, man. Just, you know, go team, dudes. Like, I'm feeling really connected with my son. <laughs> and he looks at me in the face. And he's like, no, I want to go in the grass, right? I'm like, how do you know this already, right? Like, <laughs> Are you some kind of dog that's marking out your territory? Like, what kind of hotel is this? And, and I'm, uh, no, Dawson, like, we're not going to go to the grass. And, and he looks at me, he says, no, Daddy, I need, I need to go on the grass. Well, the problem is the grass was up by the road, Veterans Memorial Parkway. <laughs> like, how is that going to look? Like, you know, all of a sudden cars, is that the pastor and his son? Are they, are they, what are they doing? It's not pollination time. Anyway, <laughs> you know this as a parent. Listen, there is nothing more frustrating than when your kid is looking at you in the face and just being defiant. There's nothing more frustrating. And I found myself even last night trying to be gracious in his potty training days, but as he's like looking at me saying, no, I want to go in the grass. I'm like, Dawson, we can't. No, Daddy, I'm going to. There was just something in me. I was like, what? what is what is overcoming my son that's causing him to look at me and have the audacity to refuse the command that I have for him? And that's where many of you guys find yourself tonight, refusing his voice. Like a defiant kid kind of pointing your finger at, at God saying no. And there's like moments where you want to hear it, but ultimately it's shrouded by what you think you're refusing. You think that you're refusing God's statutes, his law, because people have told you that. Hey, listen, here's who God really is. He says, follow these X, Y, Z things. If you do that, he'll love you. And so you're like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. And so you're refusing that. Others of you are refusing the church because you've seen a bunch of Christians be hypocrites and have burned you before. So you're like, listen, if that's Christianity and if that's how they act and if that's who they are, I don't want anything to do with that. So you think that you're refusing those things. Listen, the amazing truth that I have for you tonight is there's one thing that you're refusing when you, when you refuse his voice. First John 4 talks about it, says this. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son, that's Jesus, into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the big theological word propitiation for our sins. It means Jesus took on the wrath that you deserve because of sin. Uh, So those of you that think that you're refusing some tyrant, a dictator, 
some picture of God that you've created in your mind, actually what you're refusing is his love. That's what you're refusing. A loving, gracious God that in his mercy sent his son to die for your, on your behalf. Now, it's one thing to refuse him, uh, his words as a non-believer. It's a whole other thing to know the truth of his love and to continue to keep it at, at, at bay. You say, yeah, I know the truth about your love, but honestly, today, I just don't need it. What I need is I need to feel this sense of security from the world. I don't need your love. And then you go running back when it's convenient for you. Let me tell you this. There was nothing convenient about God sending his only son to die on a cross. Can, right? There's no convenience in that. It's a gracious, loving God. Now, I don't know if you're like me. Um, when I come to this point in sharing uh, my faith with people and telling them about Jesus, uh, especially in my past, I used to feel like a salesman. Anyone else? I used to feel like this was the point, like when I told them, listen, here's what Jesus has done in my life, completely changed everything. I kind of felt like I was like selling a Florida timeshare. You know what I'm saying? Like, so listen, here's the deal. Um, here's the, it's two bed, two bath, pretty cool. There's some Jesus, you know, statues in there. Uh, it, it, you know, it overlooks the sea. You can actually see him walking on the water out there. It's really cool, very perspective oriented. I felt like I was selling something. I want to encourage you guys, in the last year or so in my life, God's really transformed me to believe this. A, I can never want it for anyone else more than they want it for themselves. And that's tough, isn't it? And if you guys have family members that don't know Jesus, you long in your heart for them to know him. And if you guys have close friends, you're like, man, if they could only believe the truth, they would know that it's not about laws and statutes, it's about God's love and learning to follow him, Right? And ultimately, what that creates in you is a sense where you end up wanting it for them more than they want it for themselves. And I'm telling you, that's dangerous because then you put your place in the place of God in salvation. You guys see what I'm saying? So instead, here's what I've done the last year or so, and especially in the last couple months. I get to the place where I've laid out the truth of God's love. And it's come to the opportunity for people to either refuse it or not. That's what we're all doing all the time. You're either refusing his love or saying yes. And what I've started doing now is I've said two things. A, I'm not going to want it more than you. Like, I know God's truth, and it has completely changed my life. But I'm not going to want it more than you. And the second thing I've been able to say is it's your life. It's your refusal, not mine. You see what I'm saying? Well, what's, what started happening is people actually respond to that. Because they're expecting me, Pastor Mark... So all of a sudden, like, whip out my Bible out of my back pocket from my iPhone and, like, start, you know, cracking the LED screen on their cheek. Like, you must know Jesus. You must know Jesus. And in my heart, I know that that is the truth. Without him, they're nothing. Without him, I'm nothing. But when we get to this place where we realize it's, it's your life, you're going to be standing before God by yourself, Right? Then all of a sudden, it becomes so much more real. So I just want to ask each of you point blank tonight, have you been refusing the voice of God? And more importantly, have you simply been refusing his love? That's who God is. He is, by definition, love. So have you, like a defiant kid, been looking up at God and had the audacity to say, I don't want to be loved by you? When you put it in that perspective, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? It's like telling your mom, right? Like, just forget it. I'm tired of your overextending love of me, right? I just wanted to say mom tonight, so we got that in there. Go back to verse 25. See that you do not refuse him, God, who is speaking. Listen to this. Here comes the Israelites. 
bless you. For if they did not, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Stark warning. The Israelites decided uh, in their own way to go against God, against his love and mercy. And uh, what that got them was uh, a pretty stern consequence. What the writer is saying is, if they didn't escape it, how much more will we not escape the pending wrath of God if we refuse His love? We cannot escape the wrath of God. You cannot escape the wrath of God outside of the person of Christ. And through Jesus, then you can't escape His love. You see what I'm saying? You go from not being able to escape His wrath to not being able to escape His love. And that, my friends, is a tremendously encouraging promise. And I know for so, so many of you, you're, you're, you're looking for love. I think the country song that I hate so much in all the wrong places, right? I need love over here. This guy said he loved me. This person wrote a text that said, you know, XOXO. Listen, all of those forms of love that you feel like you need so much, you need to be loved by one, and that is a great God who's been gracious and merciful. So this text only gets deeper as it continues in verse 26. Ryder goes on to say this. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. How many of you guys have ever felt an earthquake before? Okay, a few of you guys. Uh, if we were in California, I would imagine that many of us uh, would have uh, felt it. I've only read stuff. I've never personally felt it. The best I can uh, equ equivocate it to is uh, airplane turbulence. Have you guys experienced this? Listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care, you know, what kind of macho man you are. Did you get up in a plane about 31 whatever feet up in the air, right? And you're already getting motion sickness and, you know, the peanuts aren't cutting it anymore for the food. And, dude, that plane starts shaking a little. You know, that plane starts shaking. I tell you what, there have been many times where I'm, like, pulling out my phone, like, trying to text Heidi, like, I love you, it's over, like, this thing's going down. You know? I mean, seriously, it's like all of a sudden you start to feel that plane shake. Guaranteed, like, tomorrow we head to Ecuador, 29 of us, really excited. Guaranteed at some point over the, over the ocean, we're going to start, like, and I'm thinking, we're going down, Jaws is going to eat us, it's over. You know what I'm saying? Well, the, the premise of it is what? When you start to feel airplane turbulence, the, pre the, the premise is, I have no control. Like, I can try to take control, I can try to find my way to the cockpit, and air marshal is going to bust a cap in me, you know what I'm saying? So that's not going to work. Right? Did I just say that? I'm sorry. And I did like the kill shot, like side. So gangster. Right? So why, why would God come to the Israelites on Mount Sinai and speak His voice in the form of an earthquake? Why? Because it revealed to all the Israelites that they have no control. You think you have control. Actually, you have none. The very thing that you believe in the most, the ground that you're standing on, watch this. I'm going to shake it underneath you. Now who's in control? Well, and it's also interesting to know at what juncture God shakes the earth. He does it just after he expands the seas before them so they can walk through it. And isn't it interesting? 
for us, when we have seen powerful movements of God right after all the prayer and all the pleading, God, do something miraculous, and he does, how quick are we to want to grab the steering wheel again on the other side? Hey, great job, God. Well done. I got this from here, right? As if God's going to come down and say, hey, thanks so much for holding up the fort here while I was away. Like God's going to be grateful somehow that we retook control. Listen, it's a figment of your imagination. You are never. He is always, right? And so the great picture here is, listen, listen, the earth shook, okay, when they were there, but there was a day coming when something else is going to shake. Isaiah 13, 13 says this. Next slide. Next slide. Hello back there. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place, at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. In other words, there was a day in the Old Testament when God spoke and the earth shook, and there's a day coming when everything will shake in God's return, and it will be the revelation that no one is in control and, and only he is. And so he's warning everyone. He's like, listen, if you want to refuse God, go ahead. A problem is when the earth starts shaking, things aren't going to go so well for you. He adds this in uh, verse uh, 27. To further his point, he says this phrase yet once more, which was quoted from Haggai 2 a, a verse ago, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. You guys ever seen one of those little, uh, those little snow white like globes with snow and that plays a little music? You guys know what I'm talking about? The little globe things that like little girls like and some of you boys like them too. You shouldn't, right? Have you guys ever seen those before? Well, my, my little girl has one on her, on, her, on her bed, next to her bed, and it plays a little, huh, you know, a nice little tune. And it's cool because you, you kind of shake it up. Listen, you kind of shake it up, and for a few moments there, you don't see what's inside, right? Like it's so filled with whatever those little, like, white pieces of love are in there. It's so filled with that, you don't see what's actually inside. Eventually, the dust settles, and there is the object that was always there. What the writer is saying is, listen, God is going to shake, show that he's in control, and there is only going to be one thing that remains. That's him and whoever was connected to him. Listen, I'm not a, an earthquake management professional, but I know this, okay? In times of earthquake, what do they tell you to do? What do they tell you to do? Tell you to get under something that's substantial and hold on. Okay? That's what they say. They don't say, like, ride it like a surfboard. They say, get under a desk or a bed or find something, you know, just go somewhere and hold on. There's a day coming when you won't need to hold on to him. He'll be holding on to you. All will be shaking. And my friends, people will want to be holding on to something. And the children of God will be held by a good, gracious, loving Father. You see what I'm saying? And I'll tell you right now, I am completely, even right now in this moment, saying it, so overwhelmed by the victory and the encouragement and the security that comes in that. When all hell is breaking loose on this earth and people are running all over the place wondering what is happening, the Scripture says that I, through Christ, get the opportunity to say, that's my God. He's not letting me go. He called me his kid. I'm not going to refuse his voice because I know it's love. I know it's grace. I know it's mercy. And so I just, I just ask you all tonight, before we move from the warning into the encouragement, 
How many of you have been refusing his voice? I'm telling you what, listen. There's no need to refuse it another minute. Get out of your mind that you're refusing something that's not God. God is love. And in the picture of his wrath, you're like, well, well how can God, like if this is going to happen, if everything that you know, seems so substantial is just going to fall away, how is that a loving God? And I say, how is it not? He's a God who is just. And we are all sinners in desperate need of him. And because of that, anything that's depraved will crumble and fall. And that's why God is love, because he rightly judges. Are we together? Then he goes on to say this in verse 28, big encouragement. Therefore, let us be grateful. I really am struggling with this. A couple things I, I teach my kids. You don't want to be the parent that your, that your kid doesn't share. You're seen as a horrible parent. You're overplaying at your friend's house, right? Your kids are kind of over there. The little Billy's over in the corner like hoarding all the toys. And you instantly know, like, all the other parents in the room are like, dude, what's up with your kids? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, you, you don't discipline them? You know, and he's, like, running around, like, no, and he's, like, beating them on the head with the Power Ranger, right? You don't want to be that kid. I'll tell you what, you also don't want to be the kid that has, you also don't want to be the parent that has kids that don't say their pleasing and thank yous. We walk into Applebee's last night, pre-accident that we were talking about earlier, right? Girl opens the door for us. I got my three little riffraff here. What do I say? Kids? What do you, you know? Oh, 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 thank you, you know. And it still works, right, because they're so cute, and they got the little blonde heads, right, and the waitress is like, oh, they're so sweet. I'm like, okay, come on, give us a seat. You know what I'm saying? Figure this out here. Someone's got to pee here, you know. Now, listen. What I see in us, what I see in you, what I see in me are hearts that, that lack so much gratitude. See, his point is this. You have something that cannot be shaken. You have this graced love of God, and yet, and yet you're acting like you deserve something. Because the opposite of a heart of gratitude is a heart of deservedness. So you walk around like, like God's going to come down when the earth shakes, and he's going to be like, you, you've done phenomenal. Like of all of these people on this crazy earth, it's you. Like, thank you, thank you so much for showing us what it looks like to follow me. Well done. Not going to happen. It's only through the person of Christ that you have any kind of semblance of relationship with God, let alone your ability to approach him. And it's because of that fact that our hearts should be so eternally grateful, and yet we're walking around like we deserve anything from anybody. Why are we so ungrateful? Please and thank you, even to, to each other, should be some of the most used words we ever say. But they should be words that come out of a heart that truly recognizes without the love of God that we're nothing. So uh, I just want to ask, do you guys find yourself grateful? Do you think that God's done something good or not? Then would your life communicate gratitude? Would your existence right now say, I am truly grateful, God, for what you've done. Well, this verse has rocked me, and here's why. He says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, interesting, with reverence and awe. 
if you're like me, I pulled back from this instantly. My list was going in my mind. My question was what? What is acceptable worship, right? No, I don't, okay, well, let's say you were asking questions about this verse, okay, right? One of your questions may be, what's acceptable worship? So I started going through the list, right? Um, Like, worship with a pure heart, that sounds biblical, right? Fair enough. Worship with a, a, a pure motive. Obedience for the glory of God, not myself. All of those things were coming to my mind. And then all of a sudden, I pulled back from the verse a little bit. And I saw something I've never seen before. This verse actually may be the most gospel-centered, Christ-exalted verse in the entire book of Hebrews, and it doesn't even mention the word Jesus. Here's why. Acceptable worship only happens through Christ. Like I, in and of myself can never even in gratitude approach God and say, hey, thanks so much for all that you've done. I only ever approach God through Christ. Christ has bridged the gap. And so what's amazing is my worship is acceptable because of who Jesus is. How freeing is that? I feel like so much my days are burdened by God. Is this acceptable? God, I don't know, is this I've already accepted you as a kid through Christ. Be freed. Stop trying so hard. Release a little bit and live in joy, and you'll be accepted. Your worship be accepted through what my son has already done. Are we together in that? Like you guys enter in here, I need to do this, I need to do that. Jesus has already done it. That's why some of you guys who've been coming here for a while, you're like, man, these guys talk about Jesus a lot. I'm not so sure I like that. We don't have anything else to talk about. There is nothing else to say. So seriously, if you're like, I don't, I think maybe next week we'll get the list of 10 best things we can. Listen, you keep coming here, you're going to just keep hearing about the Lord Jesus. Because I long to worship a good God, and I've recognized what he's done in my life, and I know my only way for that to be accepted is through Christ. That's why he adds at the end of this, with reverence and awe. In other words... You approach the throne of God through Jesus, and you will have to revere and awe because you're in the presence of God. See what I'm saying? But you're trying to get there on your own. And so you never revere and you never awe because you never get there. Because you're like, hey, God, here's all the awesome things I did today. You ready to do this? Right? Like, uh, come on, God. Like today, approval for me, acceptance. God, here's my worship today. God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was talking with a woman earlier tonight. Man, this is so revealing of the hearts I know of many of you. Uh, she's going through a difficult situation, really difficult situation. Comes up to me. She's like, Mark, I'm so sorry for all the things I did last week. I'm like, okay, you know, fair enough. She's like, I just, I just know I'm so down here and you're so up here. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Say that again? She's like, well, you know, you're, you're a pastor and I'm just, I'm just struggling so much. I'm like, my sister, we have the same means of approval. I am approved just like you are through Jesus. God isn't looking down on me and saying, man, that that sermon right there, I'll tell you what, boy, you know? Threw down, that's good stuff. It's not happening. He sees me. He sees you through the lens of Jesus. If you refuse his love, you're out there by yourself. 
representing yourself. And when you represent yourself, my friends, it's not a good representation. Are we together? So the beautiful portrayal of the Scripture is worship Him through the person of Christ, and when you come, you will revere and you will awe. And so you can easily ask yourself, have you revered and awed recently? When was the last time you were brought to your knees? When when was the last time you were so in awe of the love of God that you could do nothing? You couldn't even speak. The reality is probably you've been trying to get God's approval through your own worship and not through the person of Christ who has already been approved. He ends with uh, this passage, verse 29. Cue the pyrotechnics. For our God is a consuming fire. There was an old uh, third day song. Have you guys ever heard of third day? <laughs> okay. They were a band uh, back in the day, creatively entitled Third Day. He, he rose on the third day. You got I had this song called Consuming Fire. I've always wondered, like, what, what, is, what is this really saying? It's quoting Deuteronomy 4. Okay, fair enough. The Deuteronomy 4 text, I believe it's verse 14, says, uh, For our God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. It adds the jealous piece. So I've always, like, sat back from this. I'm like, what does it mean for God to be a consuming fire? Well, this is a statement. Agree? There's a period at the end. Deuteronomy 4, it's a statement. There's a period at the end. I believe you and I have made it a question. Our God is a consuming fire? I don't know. I sure am consumed by this right here. This relationship? That, that's what feels pretty consuming right now. I don't know if you're like me. I can be consumed by one thing. Are we together? And that one thing can be so consuming, whatever it may be. I don't have the propensity, and I would imagine you're the same, to be consumed by 16 things. I'm consumed by one. What are you consumed with now? We've made this a question. God is a consuming fire? I don't know. It sure does seem like right now my lust and my passion is pretty consuming. It sure does seem right now like my inability to let go of the pot is certainly consuming. It certainly feels like my inability to get out of my shame and regret sure feels consuming. The point of Deuteronomy 4, the point of Hebrews uh, 12.29, is if God is a consuming fire, then that means He is everything. In other words, there's never a need to be consumed with anything else. If He is all-enveloping, if His love is truly what the Scripture says it is, if His grace really is sufficient, then all of these little piddly things that you're finding your security in are at the end of the day going to get shaken out. And what's going to be left is the kingdom that cannot be shaken. God, His Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and all those connected with Him. Are we together? But here you are tonight, so incredibly intrigued by all of these little things that have consumed your mind and created a tremendous amount of drama in your life. When am I going to get this job? I just, how am I going to pay these bills? How am I going to get this person to finally like me? How, how are we going to get married finally? How are we going to pay our bills when we get married? I don't know if I'm ever going to graduate. How many guys are right there? You're like, yeah, dude. Huh? 
That's talking to me right there, right? Like that's. Listen, if God is a consuming fire, then I will never need to be consumed by anything else. And if you're like me, you're like, okay, okay, okay. It's good, it's good, that's good. I'm with you, I'm with you. I don't want to be consumed by anything else. God first, I get it. How does that look practically? I want to show you guys. Stand up with me. Stand up, come on. At the end of Hebrews uh, chapter 10, there's this amazing passage. And it says this. But we are not of those who shrink back. We're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I read this verse again this week, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here's the connection. When the earth starts shaking and the new heaven and the new, new earth take place for an eternity, there are going to be people running for the hills, shrinking back, climbing under, holding on. But guess what? In Christ, completely consumed by his love, he comes back. I don't shrink back at all. There's nothing to hide from. I'm able to say, that's my God. He's coming back. And I don't need to run to hold on to him. He's already holding on to me. And so I sit back and I say, how can I not be consumed by that God? How for a second could I lose perspective and start to feed the flesh so much out of a lack of gratitude, thinking that I deserve his grace? I don't deserve a thing, and neither do you. But you're refusing his love. Believer and non-believer alike in this room. No thanks, God. I got it for here. I know I'll need you again tomorrow, but today I'm good. Just refuse your love again. Refuse it again. And then finally, in a moment of desperation, you come running back. Listen. In the good, in the bad, in the ugly, in the pain, in the distress, in the joy, he is still a consuming fire. That's a statement. So I want to pray for you guys tonight. For those that have been refusing, uh, here's what I'm praying, honestly, that you don't hear a sales pitch tonight, that you just come to this place in your life where you're like, I don't think I can live one more day without that. I'm getting tired of running around and trying to find my security and all kinds of other things. I want to pray for you. And for those of you that are completely consumed by all kinds of other things currently, let me just encourage you with that. That's going nowhere fast. Those little kingdoms you're building, they will be shaken out and there will be nothing left. We must be consumed by the one whose kingdom will never fail. Let me pray for you guys. Father, first for my friends who have been refusing your love maybe even their whole life, I pray, God, right now that your love becomes clear that they understand that you have done this not to create rules and regulations, but because you long to call their heart your own. And so, God, I pray that you'll do a work in them. Soften their heart, God. The fear of 
saying that they want to live for you and not themselves anymore. I pray that, that you'll give them courage. I pray, God, that not another day goes by where they are defiant. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are consumed by so many other things than simply by the purity of your love. God, I pray you'll consume us with you. God, I pray that you'll make in our hearts a heart of gratitude. God, kill our deservedness. God, stir our hearts for you tonight, Father. Stir our affections, God. Open, expose our hearts, Father, and pour in a new understanding of your love and grace. Help us believe tonight that you're a consuming fire.